Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, best-selling author Eric Metaxas joins Watchmen on the Wall to reveal the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. Tomorrow's the day. Southwest Radio Ministries heads to Johnson City, Tennessee. You are invited to join a full lineup of speakers as they bring clarity to the chaos with two full days of insight and information. This Friday and Saturday, March 3rd and 4th in Johnson City, Tennessee. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or simply visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, and click on Events. Staff evangelist Josh Davis welcomes author Eric Metaxas to the program now to begin revealing the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. Winston Churchill said those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Over the next two shows, we're going to reveal how the American church is falling into some of the same traps as the 1930s German church fell into during the rise of Hitler and Nazism. I was recently sitting in on a weekly Bible study with a group of teenagers, and they're working through a a very popular evangelical Bible study curriculum. It's a very average, very typical kind of thing. And while it has a whole lot of great content and it sparks some very deep conversations, I was struck by one of the benign questions that it asked in a particular study. It was something that most people wouldn't even pay attention to. It was along the lines of, how would your week be different if you say only encouraging words to each other? And that's a very normal kind of evangelical Bible study question. But after hearing a couple responses from the teens along the lines of, well, If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Just keep your mouth shut. Be quiet. I had to put in my two cents. I told them, biblically, the word encourage means to build up. Christ Jesus wants us to use our words to build each other up, not to tear each other down. However, is it loving and upbuilding to remain silent when people are heading to danger and to destruction? I've got young kids. If they told me, Daddy, we want to go play in the middle of the street, would it be loving for me to say, sure, go follow your heart's desire, do whatever you want to do? Or would it be upbuilding and loving for me to warn them? Yes, friends, encouraging words sometimes have to be words of warning. And we have such a warning for the American church from number one New York Times bestselling author, host of a nationally syndicated radio show, and our guest for the next two shows, Eric Metaxas. Eric, we welcome you to Watchmen on the Wall. It is my privilege. Thank you. It is becoming increasingly popular in a modern American church to avoid issues that have political ramifications. Why is there such a temptation to shy away from any kind of issue that seems to be political, although it may be a deeply spiritual issue? Let's call it what it is. It's heresy. It's not biblical. And I think that the horror, and I write about this, the new book, Letter to the American Church, I write it because I see that exactly the excuses that the German church leaders gave 
in the early 1930s, they were being silent in the face of the rising evil, but they gave all these theological excuses, and I realized those are exactly the same excuses being given by American Christian leaders and pastors today about why they don't want to comment on this or on that. They say, I just want to stick to the gospel. And, and you realize, wait a minute, the Lord requires us to speak about what is true. And if we're living in a time of slavery, and you know that the Scripture says that it's wrong, you don't say, well, I don't want to talk about that because it might ruffle some feathers. You have an obligation before God to say, this is what the Scripture says, and we need to get aligned with the Scripture. If somebody says, I don't want to talk about abortion because there are people here, well, they've had abortions or they are on a different side politically, and you've got to lovingly address these issues or you are really being disobedient to God. But we live at a time in, in America where the idea that you could somehow avoid politics or avoid controversy and just quote-unquote stick to the gospel, it is a very widespread idea. It's preposterous. It is harmful. It's ultimately evil because it's what led the German church to stay silent in the face of evil, and it led to the tremendous horrors that befell Germany and Europe because the Church refused to speak, because the Church bought the lie that we're supposed to avoid those issues. And I think that because I wrote a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I understand dramatically how that happened in Germany, I see exactly the same thing happening in the United States. There's no question about it. The parallels are dramatic. I outline them in the book I mentioned, Letter to the American Church, because we have to understand that God does not want us to be silent in the face of evil. The excuse people usually give is, well, I'm, I'm just interested in evangelism. And I think, well, that's not the only thing that God's interested in. God's interested in your speaking the truth, in your exposing corruption, in your leading people to know right from wrong. All of that is part of the larger project of evangelism. But if you just focus on evangelism and avoid all those topics, you're not re- leading people to anything. We find ourselves in America having kind of bought that lie, hook, line, and sinker, and there are only a handful of churches that are bravely speaking about the issues that real Americans are wondering about and saying, how, how am I supposed to raise my kid with all this madness around me? Where, you know, who's going to speak about it? The church ought to be at the forefront of speaking on all those issues. You're absolutely right, and I agree with you 100%. You know, even in Scripture, we see John the Baptist willing to be imprisoned and ultimately lose his life, have his head cut off for speaking out against what may be considered today a moral issue, a relationship, a sexual issue, and yet he risked his life. And Jesus spoke so very highly of John the Baptist. And in my mind's eye, I see the typical American attitude towards these issues like a interstate superhighway. There's all these multiple lanes, and when the vehicle of the church tries to merge into another lane, we get knocked back, whether it be the political sphere or any other sphere. We're scolded. Get back in your lane. Why is this such a harmful conception for the American church to follow after today? We just have to look, what's the biblical idea? The biblical idea is that we're supposed to take our faith out of the church and into every single sphere in the world. We're not supposed to stay in our theological lane, in our religious lane. You can do that in China. You can go to an official church 
and do your little weird Christian rituals in that building, and when you come out, you bow to the secular authority of the state. Christianity doesn't work like that. Christianity says, I'm going to live my faith out wherever I go, because it affects everything, because the the Lord, who is truth and is the author of the universe, He is the one that gives us guidance about how to live, and it touches everything. And so this idea, this lie, that I can sort of stay in this little Christian corner here, and it's not going to affect the stuff beyond it, it's deeply unbiblical. That You know, in Germany, when this happened in the 1930s, they said, oh, we're not supposed to be political, we're pastors, Romans 13, very clear, we're just supposed to obey the governing authorities. That's a huge twisting of that scripture. When we are being told by the governing authorities to do things that are ungodly, it's a little bit more complicated than just saying, oh, Romans 13. And so it's a real cop-out, it's cowardly, and I wrote a biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he, he could see this at the time in Germany. He said they are giving all these theologically fussy reasons for their silence in the face of evil, and it's nothing but fear and cowardice. And I really think that a lot of pastors today, when they say these things, they're just afraid of ruffling feathers. They're afraid of losing some of their tithers in the church. And I think you're not living out your faith if that's what's governing you. You have to do what God asks you to do. And we don't need to look very far to see that there are things happening around us everywhere that if you're not commenting on it, you're complicit. I mean, the transgender madness is destroying lives. If you don't comment on it, if you don't clearly say this is wrong, we have compassion on people that are confused and lost, but we can't affirm them in their madness. If you do that, you're not helping them, you're not loving them. And so churches have to be clear on this stuff and have to stop pretending that somehow we could take this safe middle path and we're not going to be political. And, you know, the other thing I will say is that it kind of depends on the politics. You know, when I was young, Tip O'Neill was the head of the Democratic Party, and Reagan and Tip O'Neill would get together and they would, you know, talk about stuff. Well, that's one thing when you say we want to avoid politics. But when politics gets to a point where one party is dramatically pro-abortion, they're not even pro-choice, they're dramatically pro-abortion, They are opening the doors to cultural Marxism, to critical race theory, to the idea that we shouldn't have borders, to the idea that the government can tell us when we can open our churches. If you don't at that moment realize you have a duty before God to speak and to fight against that, not just for yourself, but for all the lives that are affected by that, the Lord calls the church to do that. And we're supposed to be fearless. And you think about it, if I believe Jesus defeated death on the cross— I will be fearless. I'm not going to fear death. I'm not going to fear what they can do to me. That's what the Lord calls us to. And I think in America, we've been so blessed and so spoiled that we forget that that's what our faith is supposed to look like. And that sometimes when somebody says to you, oh, you're being political, that's enough to shut us up. And I think sometimes when you speak the truth, somebody who doesn't like it, they're going to say you're just being political. That ought not to stop us from continuing to speak God's truth. Yes, absolutely. And I know that early on in my education, I was sort of trained and taught that there's these separate spheres. The church has its own sphere, the politics, the government has its own sphere. And it was like these two are totally separate entities. They never intermingle. They never overlap. But I think it's an unwise paradigm to follow after. Well, we're visiting with Eric Metaxas and discussing his latest book, Letter to the American Church, 
a powerful book that you will want to pick up a copy of and read for yourself. You can reach our ministry by dialing 1-800-652-1144, 1-800-652-1144, or visit us online at swrc.com. You can also connect with Eric Metaxas on his website, ericmetaxas.com. Let's continue our discussion here. You've touched on Bonhoeffer and touched on the German church of the 1930s. What did they fail to see, and how did God use Bonhoeffer to deliver a warning to the German church of his day? The parallels to where we are today are so dramatic, it's astonishing, and that's why I want people to be familiar with with the Bonhoeffer story, because Bonhoeffer early on saw that First of all, just like in America today, the church in Germany at that time had tremendous cultural power. We're not talking about China or North Korea. We're talking about a, about a very Christian country. And so when the Nazis came to power, if the church had spoken loudly with a united voice, there is no question that they could have pushed back on the Nazi policies and things. But they hesitated because of what we've been describing, which is basically bad theology. They had this bad theology that said, we don't do that, we don't get political, we don't, that's not our sphere. And you think, well, God doesn't tell you to keep in your lane. He, every lane belongs to God. And Bonhoeffer was trying to tell the German church leaders, we have an obligation before God to speak out against these things. They wrote this thing called the Barman Declaration. There was a moment when those who were paying attention could see that the Nazis were trying to take over the Church, to try to create a state Church. And the reason the German Christians were really not ready for this is because they'd always had a happy relationship between the Church and the state. You know, they said, hey, Germany, Luther comes from Germany, and we're all Lutherans, and we're all Germans, and we don't, we don't see any problem between the Church and state. But if the head of the state is suddenly Adolf Hitler... So some Christians could see right away the Nazis are trying to take over the Church. So they create the Barman Declaration to spell out that we will not bow to the authority of the state. We bow to Jesus Christ alone. And Bonhoeffer and others were were really trying to rally every pastor in Germany around the Barman Declaration and around really what they call this new Church, this confessing Church, because they said the state church had become a Nazified anti-church, and they were really trying, and Bonhoeffer was trying, but he saw that the Germans, the ones who were theologically liberal and the ones who were theologically conservative, they just had different reasons for keeping quiet, but they all said, well, we don't think it's time yet to take a stand. We don't want to fight yet. And he knew that the window is closing. There will come a time very shortly when you will not be able to speak. You will not be able to fight and he tried to rally them, and of course they hesitated and hesitated. By the time many of them saw what was happening, it was too late, and we know what happened. The question is, will that happen in America? Because we're right in that spot right now. And let's go there. How is the American church falling into some of those same kinds of traps? What are some of these parallels that you see between the 1930s Germany and America of today? Well, I think it's the willingness to not fight, and the, or, or, or I should say that the lack of willingness to fight. When the government tells you, shut down your church, the government says, if you don't do this, we're going to fine you. 
right away the churches ought to say, excuse me, excuse me, this is the United States of America. We have separation of church and state. You do not dare tell us what to do, how to behave. We are the Church of Jesus Christ. And the horror of how churches folded in COVID and just went along, and, you know, many of them eventually kind of woke up and said, wait a minute, this is not right. Church is vital. Church is necessary. People need church. And But that was a real sign that people were not awake to this idea that the state could bully the church. And the funny thing is, in Germany, they didn't have separation of church and state. We have that tradition here. We have that in our Constitution, in our Bill of Rights. It's the sort of thing that we ought to know better in America. And so that is one thing you see. But then when you see people saying, I don't want to be political, again, it gets ridiculous. If you're talking about, well, I don't know if uh, it, it's between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan, and I, you know, I don't want to take sides from the pulpit. Well, that's one thing. Jimmy Carter was a serious Christian. You could disagree with him, but you know, he understood abortion is wrong. He understood the scriptures, the word of God. He understood the church is a sacred thing. He understood all that stuff. But we now have a Democratic Party that is, you know, many in the Republican Party are awful. But the point is that when people say don't be political, if somebody is pushing Marxist atheism, if somebody is pushing transgender madness on our children and young children, you have to stand against that. And there are many people today saying, that's political, I don't want to be political. You are called by God to be political because these things are issues of truth. These things are related to people's lives. People who call themselves Christians ought to be the ones that are heroically standing against these things. And that's really exactly what happened in Germany, and it's shocking to see it happening here. And I I wrote the book, Letter to the American Church, because I want people to understand, listen, what happened in Germany was hell was unleashed because of the silence of the Church. And do you not think that hell is being unleashed and will be unleashed far worse than anything we've seen if the Church continues to remain silent and to say, well, we don't want to be political? We don't have that luxury. God has called us to take a stand. And if we don't, what will happen here will be as bad or worse than what happened in Germany. And I don't say that to be dramatic. I know enough about history to know that, unfortunately, that is the case. This book is written as a warning and hopefully as an inspiration to those who need some bucking up, who need to understand that what I'm saying is biblical. This is not just some kind of political idea. This is what the Scripture commands. Yes, and our listeners are very engaged people, and we are grateful for that. They reach out to us so often. And once again, we are visiting with Eric Metaxas. You can reach out to our ministry at 1-800-652-1144 or visit us online at swrc.com. We are discussing Eric's latest book, Letter to the American Church. I strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of that today so that you can be informed on what has happened in history and also heed the warning to not sit on the sidelines, but to find yourself counted and standing in this day in which we live, where we must take a stand. As we said at the opening, America is perhaps the last stronghold, and if America falls, what will happen to Christianity around the world? And so we must take this stand. Eric Metaxas has much more to share about the cowardice that is masquerading as godly meekness on our next program. 
Can it really be God's will that his children be silent at a time like this? The brand new book, Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas, says, No, silence is not an option. Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas is available today. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or simply visit our website, swrc.com. We welcome our host, Pastor Larry Spargimino, to the microphone now to answer an important question. Pastor Larry, what exactly is Gnosticism? We are living in a time when there are many apparently new heresies and aberrant beliefs. We're also living in a time when the old ones are resurfacing and becoming popular once again. One of the ancient heresies that is very much with us today is Gnosticism. Gnosticism flourished in the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD in the world of the New Testament. There were many treatises written by the early church fathers against Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Gnosticism rejects the doctrine of original sin, human depravity, and salvation through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It emphasizes transcendence through inward intuitive knowledge, that is, gnosis, of the divine spark in each individual, as they believe. The Orthodox Church Fathers believed in a personal God and a personal Christ, who was literally resurrected from the dead. On the other hand, the Gnostic fathers believed in an absolute principle of deity instead of a personal God. Gnosticism flourished in the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD, so it was having its greatest popularity after the days of the apostles. However, there were early forms of Gnosticism that were creeping into the church. The Apostle John addressed this early form of Gnosticism, often called incipient Gnosticism, in 1 John 1, verse 1. Quote, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. John is telling us two important things about the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he is saying that Jesus Christ was from the beginning. Gnostics believed in several emanations of deity. They were called aeons, emanations of being from the ultimate noble being, God himself. Gnostics distinguished between an inferior God whom they felt was responsible for the creation and the superior deity. They believed that there is the real God, but also several emanations of deity, lower in rank and glory. But according to John, Jesus Christ was from the beginning. In his gospel, John makes the same point. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's from John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But there is a second thing that John is saying in 1 John 1, 1, and that is that Jesus Christ had a physical body, that which was from the beginning, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. In other words, Jesus was no phantom. He was no ghost. The Apostle Paul also addressed the issue of incipient Gnosticism. In Colossians 2, verse 9, the Apostle writes of Jesus and says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The word fullness is a translation of the word pleroma, 
Significantly, this is the word that the Gnostics use to describe the highest principle of being, the infinite and unknowable God. But Paul says that all of that fullness dwells in Jesus Christ. That is quite a statement. There is no higher being, no greater deity. Jesus is God. So yes, Gnosticism is addressed by the New Testament. The early church father Irenaeus, who died around A.D. 200, records that John wrote his gospel to deal with the heresies of the Gnostic heretic, Serenthus. Since the Gnostics generally believed matter to be evil, some of them actually withdrew from the world. Some practiced strict asceticism. They withdrew from the world, practiced a life of poverty, and ate the plainest of foods. The apostle seems to address this very issue in 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, where he says that there will be those who forbid to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Other Gnostics, however, developed an opposite approach. They believed that since our bodies are evil, created by an inferior deity, we can sin all we want and we will not be held accountable. There are several factors involved in the growth of Gnosticism and its increasing popularity in the 21st century. For one thing, we are living in days of apostasy. The Bible is no longer being preached. Doctrine is being de-emphasized. People are more interested in being entertained and in hearing something new and different. Many evangelicals are not grounded in the Word of God. They have no concept of truth and are not willing to contend for the faith. They don't want to be offensive. They are not willing to stand for the truth, and as someone once said, a man who will not stand for something will fall for anything, and we see that happening today. Gnosticism is also becoming popular because it speaks of an inner light of human fulfillment. The Los Angeles Times Magazine recently featured an article entitled, Antiquities Gnostic Church is Enjoying a Renaissance. It was an interview with Bishop Stephen Holler of the Ecclesia Gnostica near Sunset and Hollywood Boulevards, and in an interview he said this, and I quote him, The Gnostics have held that they are always messengers of light who come from the inner worlds as archetypes of transformation, though many feel that Jesus was perhaps the latest and the greatest of these. However, you'll have no difficulty finding experiences resembling Gnosis within other religious contexts. The Samadhi of the yogis, the Nirvana of the Buddhists, the Satori within Zen Buddhism. Close quotes. So it sounds a lot like the human potential movement. It also ties in yoga and Buddhism. They might even do some chanting. Actually, it sounds a lot like the emerging church movement. Gnosticism sounds so contemporary and so appealing, but it is the same old lie that was passed on in the Garden of Eden. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods. That's from Genesis 3 and verse 5. Eric Metaxas summons the church to battle in his brand new book, Letter to the American Church. Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas is available right now. Call 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, Eric Metaxas will return refuting the pernicious lie that fighting evil politicizes Christianity. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station. 
by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Oh,